Hello again everyone and welcome to the Chris Cast. I'm sorry once again this week I am late, but that's because I was trying to get through Love Simon and Love Victor for reviews this week, as well as other films that I will be reviewing, and I kind of got busy after that. So, without further ado, let's get this show underway. First up this week, an exciting announcement for DC Comics fans. This comes from BleedingCool.com. DC Comics to become audio drama podcasts through Spotify. Spotify is announcing a multi-year partnership with Warners and DC Comics, which will include original scripted narrative shows with DC superheroes and supervillains on Spotify. So that the likes of Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, The Joker, and Harley Quinn may have audio dramas as podcasts. Marvel Comics has recently entered this field, and the likes of Dirk Mags has been doing such for BBC Radio 4 for decades. The shows will be available free. In addition to producing all new series based on existing characters and established franchises, the companies will collaborate on new programming from original intellectual property and ask you to consider the possibilities of never-before-heard crossover events in the future. As you probably have guessed, this definitely excites me. More superhero content and original stories. This time it will be the theater of the mind. Because you'll hear it and imagine it all in your head. There will be no pictures to go with it. Which always makes for a better event. But I'm not sure when they're going to release. It's just in the starting stages now. So stay tuned and definitely something to check out. Next up, if you're a fan of HBO Max and have a subscription... And a fan of Scooby-Doo, there's a big announcement for you. The current available for rental and purchase digitally Scoob movie will be coming to HBO Max on June 26th. Of course, I gave a review of it a couple weeks ago. I definitely enjoyed it. I think they did a really good job with it. This will be your chance to see it as part of the subscription if you have it. So I highly suggest checking it out. Back to the world of comics, though. If you have not heard, DC has announced DC Fandom. DCFandom.com. The event will begin August 22nd at 10 a.m. Pacific. This from GamesRadar.com. It says, Warner Brothers has pulled out all the stops when it comes to the movies they will be showing off at the event, including... The Batman, Zack Snyder's Justice League cut, the, the Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman 1984. While talent has yet to be officially confirmed, Dwayne Johnson has confirmed that he'll be a part of the event to promote his anti-villain movie, Black Adam. So, it looks like we're finally going to get some news on Black Adam after all these years. And a whole devotion to DC Comics at this event, which gives DC Comics fans something huge to look forward to. But on the sad side of things, of course, it was announced the other week that Wonder Woman has once again been pushed back due to the coronavirus. It went from earlier in June to August 14th. Now the new date is currently set at October 2nd. Personally, I don't feel safe going to any theater right now to watch anything 
there's too much uncertainty with this virus and you consider that yeah AMC released a statement they are not requiring people to wear face masks in the theater but even if they did it would be almost impossible to enforce because when you get in there's popcorn there's candy there's drinks you're going to be eating you're going to be drinking you can't wear a mask while doing that you're in a dark theater you can't be seen if you're wearing a mask or not and personally for me I just feel that it's a breeding ground for the disease to continue so until it is under control as badly as I want to see Wonder Woman 1984 I will wait because I'm not fighting this virus to go see a movie to me it's just not worth it and on the Marvel side of things this week we found out that Alex Ross is providing the cover art to Rise of Ultraman number one that's due out this September. The official press release from Marvel says, Storytelling Masters Kyle Higgins of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Winter Soldier and Matt Groom of Self Made, together with superstar artist Francesco Mana of Avengers and Fantastic Four, Michael Cho of Captain America, and I uh, apologize for, I will know I'm not going to get this name right, Guri Hero from The Unstoppable Wasp will take fans back into the days of darkness where the terrifying kaiju lurk. When these unfathomable, unfathomable monsters threaten all life as we know it, the only thing standing in their way is the United Science Patrol. Who are these enigmatic defenders and how do they perform their miracles? Shin Hayata and Kiki Fuji have spent a half a lifetime trying to find out, and their quest is about to drive them toward a decades-old dark secret and put them on a collision course with a mysterious warrior from beyond the stars. The Rise of Ultraman, it will be a five-issue set. I am a fan of Ultraman from back in the day, so I am definitely looking forward to picking up that comic. Next up, CW has announced the Thursday, July 16th series premiere date for Killer Camp. The description of it is, In horror whodunit competition series Killer Camp, 11 British strangers are shocked to discover they are not going on a fun new reality show called Summer Camp, but actually participating in an over-the-top quote, murder, end quote, mystery series called Killer Camp. Camp counselor Bobby will be the first to tell you that everything at Camp Pleasant is picturesque and perfect, except the minor problem of the brutal murders. In typical reality show fashion, there will be camaraderie, sex appeal, and lots of backstabbing, only this time literally. As the campers play games to earn cash during the day, each night one of them will meet their untimely demise in ever more extreme, hilarious, and inventive way. So, me not being a fan of reality shows, I am really interested in this one. I gotta admit, it sounds like a great idea. And I definitely plan on checking it out when it premieres in July. Next up, an article that was interesting to me. I don't know if you'll find it as interesting, but it kind of shows that Madonna's got her hands in everything. This is from Yahoo.com. Madonna's choreographer helped Michael J. Fox perfect Back to the Future's iconic Johnny B. Good scene. 
Back to the Future is packed to the brim with memorable scenes, but arguably the most iconic sequence of the entire movie comes towards the end when Michael J. Fox's Marty McFly takes it upon himself to blast out Chuck Berry's Johnny B. Good for his unsuspecting high school audience. During a recent interview with Empire Magazine, Fox opened up about preparing, uh, preparing for and filming the scene, revealing that he had to get a guitar teacher to teach him how to play the legendary song. I said to director Bob Zemeckis, when I, did, when I do this scene, I play a guitar so you can finger sync me. Feel free to cut my hands anytime you want. Having said that, it put pressure on me to get it effing right. So I had this guy named Paul Hanson who was my guitar teacher. Fox didn't work with a guitar didn't just work with a guitar teacher though. He also collaborated with a choreographer who had previously worked alongside Madonna. I said I dance like a duck. I can't dance, but what I'd like to do is incorporate all the characteristics and mannerisms and quirks of my favorite guitarists, so a Pete Townshend windmill and Jimi Hendrix behind the back and a Chuck Berry duck walk and he worked it all that in. He made it flow. It was moments like that when you don't think, I'm tired or I feel pressured to do this. You just do it and have a blast. The, the choreographer and, and guitar teacher clearly did their jobs and to perfection, too, as Fox's rendition of Johnny B. Good is still rightfully regarded as one of the best musical performances in movie history, even though the students at Hill Valley High School were less than impressed. Of course, they weren't so much less than impressed as they were... They've never seen that thing before. It was ahead of its time because none of that had happened yet. And speaking of time travel, just to segue here, Deadline reports IFC picks up World War II female secret agent feature A Call to Spy and Eyes of Fall release. IFC Films has acquired North American rights to A Call to Spy, the featured directorial debut of Oscar-nominated documentary producer Lydia Dean Pilcher about the unsung female heroes of World War II. IFC plans a fall release. Now, before I read this next paragraph, as always, I want to apologize in advance for getting these names wrong. Produced, written by, and starring Sarah Megan Thomas of Equity, who plays real-life American spy Virginia Hall, the picture takes place at the onset of World War II when Winston Churchill ordered a new spy agency, the Special Operations Executive, to recruit and train female spies. Their daunting mission, conduct sabotage and build a resistance. SOE's spy mistress, Vera Atkins, played by Stana Kaddick, recruits two unusual candidates, Hall, an ambitious American with a wooden leg, and Noor Inayat Khan, played by Radhika Afpi, a Muslim pacifist. Together, these women helped to undermine the Nazi regime in France, leaving an unmistakable legacy in their wake. Atkins later became the inspiration for Ian Fleming's Mrs. Miss Moneypenny in the James Bond franchise. And that alone, without reading any more of this, I am already sold on wanting to see it. It sounds like a phenomenal film and a piece of history that we need to revisit and learn from. Because honestly, how many of you know about the spy reign of women? I sure didn't before this was announced. So let's hope it actually gets to be released this fall and we get to see it. And finally this week, very sad news again. 
Bleeding Cool reports Dennis O'Neill, comic book legend, dies at 81. This, of course, was posted on June 12th. One of the most well-regarded comic book writers and editors of all time, Dennis O'Neill, died last night of natural causes at the age of 81. Born in 1939 in St. Louis, Missouri, he graduated from St. Louis University with a degree centered on English literature, creative writing, and philosophy. From there, he joined the U.S. Navy in time to participate in the blockade of Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. After leaving the Navy, O'Neill moved on to a job with a newspaper in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. O'Neill wrote bi-weekly columns for the youth page, and during the slow summer months, he filled the space with a series on the revival of the comics industry. This attracted the attention of Roy Thomas, who had left DC Comics to work for Stan Lee at Marvel Comics. He suggested that O'Neill take the Marvel's writer's test, which involved adding dialogue to a wordless four-page excerpt of Fantastic Four comic. O'Neill's entry resulted in Lee offering O'Neill a job. O'Neill had never considered writing for comics, and later said he'd done the test kind of as a joke. I had a couple of hours on a Tuesday afternoon, so instead of doing crossword puzzles, I did the writer's test. Together, O'Neill and artist Neil Adams revived the Professor X character in X-Men number 65 in one of the creative team's earliest collaborations. He joined DC as an editor in the late 60s, and he is best known for his work writing and editing Batman titles, the modern-day, non-campy version of Batman that inspired the films as well as the modern version of the comics is, is credited to him. Julie Schwartz and Neil Adams, with O'Neill writing the comics in the 70s and editing it from the mid-80s to the end of the 90s. At DC Comics, he also co-created Ra's al Ghul, Talia al Ghul, Azriel, and more. He's also much credited with Neil Adams for teaming up Green Arrow and Green Lantern and introducing more political storylines to the comics. And definitely a huge contribution to the world of comics. And it's definitely a very sad loss. Thank you for all the stories you have given us, Dennis O'Neill. We will treasure them forever. Rest well, my friend. You deserve it. Before I get to my reviews, let's go ahead and look at the box office weekend for June 12th through the 14th. Just over a $500,000 gross because the box office is still trying to reopen and many theaters have not. But the top 10 films, number 10, down from 9, How to Build a Girl. In at number 9, True History of the Kelly Gang, down from 5 to 8. Sex and the Future, down from 6 to 7, The Fox Hunter, up from 8 to 6, The Trip to Greece, down from 4 to 5, Strike, down from 3 to 4, Max Winslow and the House of Secrets, dropping from number 1 to number 3, The Wretched, debuting in at number 2, Infamous, and up from 2 to 1, Becky. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not familiar with any of these films, so I can't really comment on them. But it 
when the number one film in the country made less than $200,000 over the weekend, you can tell that we are still suffering from the effects of the coronavirus. And on with the reviews. First up, Netflix original The Ron Missy from Happy Madison Pictures. The other guys, IMDb ranks it 5.7 out of 10, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 35%, and Metacritic 33. First off, it has a great cast. David Spade, Lauren Lapkus, Nick Swardson, Jackie Sandler, Molly Sims, Sarah Chalk, Chris Witoski, Rob Schneider, John Farley, Jorge Garcia. So lots of recognizable names there. It runs about an hour and a half. It is rated TVMA. As far as the movie itself, it's got a good story. There's quite a bit of humor in it. But overall, I was disappointed. There were some great moments, some laugh-out-loud moments, but there weren't enough for the talent behind this film, and I just felt like a lot of it fell flat. I would have liked to have seen more from it, but we just didn't get it. So, as far as the production went, it looked fantastic. The... There were great scenes underwater that were filmed very well as well. But the writing just actually kind of disappointed me. And I was hoping for more. So I would have to give it 3 out of 5 at best. Just because I expected more from it and just really didn't get it. But hopefully you will watch it and enjoy it. I've talked to several people who talked about how funny it was. Me, I just didn't quite see it the same way. I enjoyed it. I definitely think it's worth watching. But it didn't have the same oomph for me that it did for everyone else. But again, watch it, see what you think for yourselves. Currently on Netflix. Next up, for its 30th anniversary, I revisited this film. It originally opened on June 15, 1990. It is none other than Dick Tracy. The other guys rank it 6.1 out of 10 for IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes said 62% and Metacritic said 68 The cast... Phenomenal names in this cast. Warren Beatty, Charlie Corsmo, Glenn Headley, Seymour Castle, Charles Durning, Charles Fleischer, Madonna, Mandy Pink Pat, Mandy Patinkin, sorry for screwing that one up. Paul Sorvino, Robert Costanzo, Marshall Bell, uh, Dick Van Dyke, Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman. Kathy Bates, just Cole Meany, Catherine O'Hara, just so many people that you don't even expect to see in there. James Caan, Frank Campanella, Michael J. Pollard, 
just I could go on and on about this cast. It is just loaded with tremendous talent. What I love about this film is the use of color. They tried to use the eight color scheme from the comics and it makes it look so pretty on screen. The colors really splash out and like the reds just pop. I also really enjoy the roads are typically wet in this town and they shine the lights on them to get the color coming off the road as well. The buildings are all colorful. Yeah, you can tell some of it is either model or art rendition of the city, but it pieces together so well to bring the comic book to life, and that's the whole part of it. You want the comic strip to come out of the screen to you as if it were coming to life from the page. And the music. This film spawned three albums. It spawned the score from Danny Elfman, the soundtrack from Dick Tracy, and Madonna released her own album, I'm Breathless, songs from and inspired by the film Dick Tracy. And that, to me, is a very underrated album. She has some phenomenal stuff on there. Stephen Sondheim wrote her songs for the film. Of course, she plays Breathless Mahoney, who is a lounge singer. She also has a bit more, and I don't want to say if you haven't seen it because it is a surprise, but she does superb in the film. The, the story keeps moving. It keeps you entertained. You will see as you watch it, there are people that you didn't realize were in there and just show up several along the way. So, you can watch it for the thrill of the color. You can watch it for the thrill of name that actor. You can watch it for the thrill of the story. You can watch it for the thrill of the time period that it's set in. This film has so many parts that just really make it stand out. And I really enjoy it. I can't recommend it enough. I have to give it just from my personal enjoyment of the film and everything involved, the cinematography, the color, the acting, the story, the time period, it all just works for me. So I give it a four and a half out of five. Yeah, the script is not a four and a half out of five. It's more like a three and a half, four out of five. But the way it is all worked together and seamlessly, it seems, just really makes it such a fantastic film in my book and it's one of those films that I'm like people say Madonna can't act and then she pulls off this role yes yeah, she's a singer but there's so much more to her like I said so if you haven't seen it it is currently on HBO Max I'm guessing eventually when the the contract runs out it will go to Disney Plus because Disney has already started promoting for the 30th anniversary so who knows where it's going what I would love is to see a blu-ray and digital release reissued 
because the one they did is out of print and you really have a hard time finding it anymore. And this film definitely deserves that treatment. So if you have HBO Max, go check it out. If you haven't seen it before, definitely worth time watching it. Let me know what you think. As always, at Twitter, Chris underscore H71, or email Chris underscore H71 at yahoo.com. And finally this week comes my pair of Pride Month reviews. First off, I had to go back and rewatch Love Simon before watching Love Victor. Since Love Victor does spin out of the world of Love Simon. Before I get into my review of Love Simon, the other guys say 7.6 out of 10 for IMDb, 91% for Rotten Tomatoes, and 72 for Metacritic. The cast several unknowns at that point. There were a few definitely worth mentioning. Uh, Nick Robinson played Simon. Jennifer Garner and Josh Duhamel played his parents. Uh, Keenan Lonsdale from The Flash played Bram. Um, Tony Hill was the vice principal of the school. My favorite character in the entire film was the character of Miss Albright, played by Natasha Rothwell. She was amazing. Such a sassy drama teacher, and I loved her. The sassy women just always resonate with me, such as Octavia Spencer in The Help. But she really does make you love her in this film. Um, the content is so hugely important for people that are coming out and trying to figure themselves out. Of course, Simon is gay and he starts emailing someone who has posted on the Creek Secrets page for their high school about being gay. And they start talking to each other and get very close, but only through the email. The story, and it, it delves into this in Love, Victor, it's a little bit easy for Simon. There are issues along the way, but it shows that even when you have parents who are absolutely in your corner and completely open-minded, that you can still have issues with coming out and not feeling secure to do it and it shows how hard it is to come out to your friends. I highly recommend this for anybody who's questioning their sexuality, for anybody who loves someone who is gay, for anybody who has family who is gay, for anybody who hates gay people because you need to see this and learn from it. This film really hits all the right notes. I can't rave on it enough. And beyond how good the script is, beyond how well it's acted, beyond the cinematography, this film definitely deserves a 5 out of 5 just on the importance of the issues at hand. You really need to do yourself a favor and watch it if you haven't. 
because it is absolutely worth your time. So check it out, let me know. I don't believe it's currently available as a part of any subscription service. Maybe stars, but I can't remember for sure. But definitely, get a chance, check it out. And finally, following up Love, Simon, comes Love, Victor, Season 1. All ten episodes released to Hulu this past Wednesday. And... First off, the other guys, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 96%. IMDb ranks at 8.3 out of 10. This show, I would dare say, is even more important to watch than Love, Simon. Because this show shows what it's like when your family is not accepting of you being gay. The cast, Michael Semino, and I'm hoping I got that right, I apologize if I didn't, plays Victor. Rachel Hilson is Mia. Anthony Turple is Felix. B.B. Uh, Wood is Lake. Mason Gooding, the son of Cuba Gooding Jr., plays Andrew. Uh, Anna Ortiz is Isabella Salazar. Of, you may know her from Ugly Betty. Um... Returning from the film are Miss Albright, who is now the vice principal, um, Keenan Lonsdale is in an episode, and somebody who they don't really mention much, but you find out in the first episode that he is there is Simon himself, Nick Robinson. I hope I don't spoil that for anybody, but I definitely have to add him to the list because the whole need for him being in this becomes apparent with the fact that Victor has moved from Texas to Atlanta and now going to the same school that he did, that Simon did, and it starts out with Victor emailing Simon, telling him how much easier Simon had it and how hard it is for him, and Simon responds back, so they email back and forth throughout the series. As the first episode goes on, you start out with him emailing Simon, it skips to the previous 24 hours, showing how he found out about Simon Spears, and... This show deals with so many issues. It, sh it deals with somebody questioning their sexuality. It deals with friendships in high school. It deals with the need for popularity. It deals with the athletes. It deals with somebody who acts like a jerk all the time. It shows different sides to different people. Uh, Mackay Pfeiffer is also in it. I failed to mention him earlier. I just kind of thought about him being in it. He plays Mia's dad. Um, the acting, superb. Again, the story, incredibly important. Definitely needs to be watched by all. It gives you an understanding into the mind of somebody else. We can all take parts of ourselves and put them into Simon. We can take parts of ourselves and put them into Victor. And they even explain this towards the end of the season with Love, Victor. That a little bit of everybody 
as a part of you and everybody can help each other and that's what we need to do especially with these troubled times that we're in we need to look inside ourselves and find that part of us that can help someone else and use that so please watch love Simon watch love Victor learn from them open your mind broaden your horizons and love your fellow man because we all deserve it and with that being said before I close out I need to give my rating love Victor I think is more realistic than love Simon for a lot of people because of the stigma of hate associated with somebody coming out as gay unfortunately it doesn't go long enough but it leaves a great opening for a second season but a cliffhanger that you will hate because it's wide open but that's the whole intent anymore is to draw viewers back so you have to do something at the end of the season to make one whoever's producing the show want to keep producing it and two make the fans want to come back for more even without the cliffhanger i would have come back for more because these the story was just phenomenal the relationships that they did i thought were very well done it showed such a different view than love simon does and i really honestly give this a five out of five as well because again the importance and the realism so if you have hulu you can check out the all 10 episodes of love victor currently they all dropped on wednesday and you can watch them all in order they're 30 minutes apiece they have commercials in them but it moves quickly and it took me two nights to watch them because of work, but it was definitely worth watching, and I hope that you actually tune in for them. If you do, let me know what you think. Twitter, Chris underscore H71, or on Yahoo, Chris underscore H at Yahoo dot, Chris underscore H71 at Yahoo.com. But that's it for this week. I hope you all enjoyed the show. And I will see, I will talk to you next week again. Goodbye, everybody.